And we have the very welcome return of Scott Lehman this episode. He's going to help me discuss six slasher movies. And it's kind of second-tier slasher movies. The last time Scott and I discussed these ones, we were talking about the very top, top, top of the mountain. This one is more for off-the-beaten-path travelers, people who like the slasher genre. Here's some selections to consider. My guess is there may be feedback to this, so if you have feedback, you can send that to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankandreview.ca, so you can check out all of the other episodes there and uh, the individual reviews and whatnot, so uh, do that if you're in the mood. Also, if you're wanting to put something else in your ears, since Rank and Review only drops every other Wednesday, you should check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, and you should check out the Terror Table Podcast. And as always, you should go into Rank and Review knowing that for the six movies under discussion, we're going to have some spoilers, and that um, there's going to probably be some, sp- some not-so-great language, some coarse language, usually from me in particular. Hope you're in for a fun episode because Scott always brings his top game and uh, we're playing right in our wheelhouse. Welcome to Rank and Review 211. Mr. Scott Lehman returns, and uh, it's a, it's always a special occasion to have Mr. Scott Lehman on Rankin Review, but um, this episode is taking us back to the very first Rankin Review that you and I did, which was Slasher okay, yeah. Cinema, A History. Now, uh, none of these movies necessarily would be essential Slasher Cinema necessarily, that like, maybe that if you're a fan of the genre, you absolutely have to check these ones out. This is a list of a bunch of, you know, another slasher movies, you know? <laughs> Fair to say, yeah, these like, aren't the, uh, the cream of the crop ones that uh, pop in your head first, no. right? Uh, in a lot of ways, when people are talking dismissively about horror movies, they're talking about movies like these, like that are just, um, well, like paint by numbers. You get a group of 
people. They go to a place. They get whittled down to one or two survivors. You know, rinse, repeat. It's a formula. Throw in some titties if you want to get a little extra points. But, like, there, it, it, there's not a lot of... I, I guess range within the genre at least as far as people outside of it seem to think but in spite of this you and I never seem to tire of watching slasher movies so what I, I makes a, those I mean many different types of movies have a formula not just the slashers so it's true I've said it before when people talk about that like rom-com every romantic comedy in the world <laughs> you know once you've seen one you've kind of seen them all but they don't tend to get beaten up on that but I wanted to ask you, because you know your shit when you're talking about slasher movies, what's the difference between a great slasher movie and a terrible one, and um, why is it that we can voraciously watch either end of the spectrum with big dumb smiles on our face? I want to be entertained. That's, that's my key. I, I just want to be entertained. I, I'm not going into a slasher movie expecting to be moved or uh, really to think too much. Um, I just want to... Usually... There, I guess there's the ones that might be a little bit fun. You might have some fun with, even side with the, with the killer sometimes, and uh, and just watch the variety of uh, unique kills. Uh, some of them you might watch that are a bit grittier and actually feel a little bit uh, disturbed by. Uh, so the, there's a few different types. I'm not sure what uh, what makes it a good good versus bad slasher film. Um, maybe it just goes down to entertainment. Um, I'm not going to judge a movie on on its uh, budget. Right, because if you're going to say, "Well, this movie's better because it, it had more money behind it," um, no, I'm going to give every movie an equal chance. Some of them you may have to give it a bit. Um, you don't want to have to fight it too much, but um, yeah, I want to have an idea. I want to have a. I want to have some. Uh, I want to have some gore. I want to have some kills and uh, something interesting. If the there's nothing interesting and it's just uh, you know just another movie about a killer in a house, then yeah, we've seen that hundred times but uh what's your twist what else are you gonna give me there's something to be said about knowing what you're getting too sometimes like yeah sometimes i want to sit down and watch a movie that's really going to challenge me or blow my mind or like uh you know teach me something and other times i want to watch wrong turn you know uh <laughs> here's here's something where I know exactly what I'm going to get. It's not necessarily going to challenge me. It's going to work within a certain box of creativity. But what can they do within that box to distinguish themselves? If you yeah. if you play within that those rules well, then I will actually celebrate you quite a bit. But alternatively, sometimes even when you fail spectacularly, there is something a little bit interesting and kind of enjoyable of like... There is something hilarious about a terrible performance in the middle of like like a, a horror movie, like someone who's really really trying to be earnest, but just it's not coming across at all. Yeah. Sort of well, turns around and becomes weirdly hilarious and entertaining to me. Now it's not good necessarily to laugh at a movie, but for me, a bad rom com is so much harder to watch. There's something really insufferable about watching someone try to be funny and fail. And there's something hilarious to me about watching someone try to be intense or try to be scared and fail. So if yeah. for me, even sometimes when they lose, they win. <laughs> we spent two episodes last year talking about uh, some of those movies that were maybe not very good, but man, we had fun watching them. Uh, and uh, I think one of these today might uh, fall in that category for me. But uh... <laughs> Like, uh, not enough 
credit is given to fun. Um, to sort of change the subject, I just saw the new Jurassic World movie, which has been getting terrible reviews. Is it an amazing yeah. movie? No. Is it fun? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, <laughs> it's I, a, I had a great time. I watched that in the theater with my daughter and yeah. in 3D, the they, big sound. I had a great time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, did it make sense? No, not point. really. <laughs> but it was, it was a big spectacle. And we knew yeah. what we were going to get. We were going to get dinosaurs eating people and we were going to get Jeff Goldblum throwing out some one-liners. And, you know, we got our money's worth. Is it amazing? No. Um, and this is the perspective that I kind of take into, particularly slashers, because, like I said, they are so formula. Yes, I know what I'm going to get, but do it well, and I will love you forever. <laughs> this is just my well, genre. Yeah, I think um, one thing about uh, those movies as well is give me something memorable, because there's so many of them. I want to have something that I remember that movie, because I'll watch many of them where I have to try and think, you'll, you'll bring up a title or someone else will and say, have you ever seen Killer in the Woods or whatever title? And I'd, I'd have to think, so I don't know. I think I've seen it. I'm not sure. Yeah. But give me something that has something memorable and say, oh, yeah, that's that movie with this and that in it. And then it all comes back. Oh, that's the guy, well, the the guy juggles the decapitated heads. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the movie where the guy got stabbed with a shish kebab. Yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> yeah that for sure. Uh, I think we got, even though it's all very sort of mid-tier, there's some range to the movies that we have within here in both their budget and uh, sort of where they're coming from in the spectrum of things. We have a remake. We have a couple of, like, pure 80s, like, right at the beginning of the slasher sort of boom. Uh, and then, of course, we have some direct-to-video sort of early 2000s schlock. Um, yeah. of which there was almost too many. Like, you, you can't keep up with them and maybe shouldn't. So, um, is there anything you would like to say by way of introduction before I list these movies off and we start talking slasher movies once again? I'm always happy to talk slasher movies with you. It's a, it's a fun treat for me. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny because these aren't Friday the 13th. They're Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. These are other slashers that you may have seen. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely not as as celebrated. None of these would be the first ones that would pop into your mind. But uh, but it was an interesting six to watch. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I I don't have a subtitle other than slasher cinema. But like, none of this, I guess, would I say is essential unless you love slasher movies. But I'm not going to necessarily say that they're all terrible either. So, nope. uh, we're going to talk about the remake of Black Christmas. There is actually, I guess, two of them now, but this was yeah. the Glenn Morgan one, I want to say, from 2006. That's I hope, right. I hope we I watched was the... Hoping, I was hoping I watched the right one. For yes. This. Yeah. Black Xmas, I guess. The <laughs> um, An old Toby Hooper film called The Fun House, I believe from 1980. Happy Birthday to Me, another slasher movie, this one Canadian made from 1981. Urban Legend. I want to say that's in the late 90s, but it might actually be yeah. 2000. Yeah, is it? It feels yeah, it, super 90s. I, I want to say 96, 98, that area. Yeah. Urban Legend, so much of uh, killings happening based on famous Urban Legend shocker. The direct-to-video, Wrong Turn 3, Left 4 Dead, and a, I guess, kind of cult. There's a little bit of a cult crowd forming around it, I guess, these days. The Midnight Movie, about a bunch of people who love slasher movies who go to see a screening of one and things don't go well for them. 
those are the six slasher movies that we're going to be talking about. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. Happy to. Let's get into it. Ooh. <laughs> Someone's having a party for the top ten. The senior class snobs. Before they get to celebrate, six of them will die in the most bizarre ways you'll ever see. Virginia, don't go away. Come over here, Virginia. It is up to you to determine whether you wish to subject yourself to fear, terror, and shock. Because of the bizarre nature of this birthday party, pray you are not invited. Happy Birthday to Me. This is a Canucksploitation film from 1981, directed by J. Lee Thompson, which is not a name that everyone will jump and know, but he did direct the original Cape Fear. He did direct a movie called The Guns of Navarone, which was pretty popular for its time, and he was, by all intents and purposes, a pretty legitimate director, and it wasn't like they hired him, like, paid him to do it and he was like just uh, slumming it for hire he actually was kind of excited by the idea of a horror movie halloween had just happened recently horror movies were hot and uh there was a whole bunch of these movies being made in canada and uh you know he wanted to add his name to the list i like that because there's a lot of times where you find directors who are like holding their nose a little bit like yeah i'll do this slasher movie because it'll make money and then i can do the next project that i really want to do this guy had done lots of projects, but he'd never done a slasher movie, and he wanted to do it. Uh, I think, uh, well, it's got a lot of things that you'll notice about those, a lot of slasher movies if you watch them. Uh, they'll try and have like a, a, they can't afford a lot of A celebrities a lot of times, so like they'll take a B or C tier celebrity, usually from television, and they'll cast them in the movie so they can play against type. You're used to seeing so-and-so on a sitcom, but now here they are being chased by a knife. You know, Steve Gutenberg is now a serial killer. You know, uh, in this case, Melissa Joan Hart, who's most famous for Little House on the Prairie, is in the center of this slasher movie. It's set at this sort of rich, snobby academy, and this girl finds her friend group starts to shrink very rapidly. Uh... There's a real strange thing about the movie because it feels so 80s, it feels so of the era of slasher movies that I can't not love it, but it's so strange and the the way the story is told is so bizarre that like yeah. you can't really fully endorse it either. There's a, a sequence early in the movie where the kids jump over a drawbridge in a car and the main character is freaking out and traumatized and like way overreacting to the situation and about a half an hour later we are explained in the movie why that is but we had no understanding of it when it happened and and there's lots of things like that in the movie it's like the movie wants you to watch it twice so the second time more of it makes sense but the catch is i think even watching it twice it doesn't all <laughs> make sense at all where it delivers where it delivers as in the aesthetic of the 80s slasher and, you know, the particularly in the third act, the sort of slash and dash, you know, climax of the movie. That's where it really works. 
but mainly the movie is just very strange. And I enjoyed it for that, mainly. Yeah, I, I agree. There is some strangeness to it. One thing I really wanted to point out is it, it kind of feels like a Canadian Jallo film. Yeah, very much. It, it, I mean, it, all the way down to uh, the Black Gloves and the Hidden Killer. It, you always would see that in those type of films. Uh, just Who the hands, it? and they always wear black gloves. Yeah. And you wouldn't see, uh, you know, and it switches after we start seeing what we believe is the person committing the, the murders. But for a long time, it's a mysterious figure with black gloves. And it, it really has that weird feeling of, of the old shallow films, but with a Canadian feeling to it. I don't know what it, what that means, but it just well, kind of looked Canadian. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> that, have the obnoxious it, score but. or the bad dubbing or the t- turned up color values, but the feel of the story is very jallow. And in the deliberate pacing of it, especially is very rem- reminiscent of early jallow films. I think to me, this, this is one of the things that hurts the movie too. It's almost two hours long. And I think for me, uh, a, a slasher movie like this, there's a sweet spot, like 90 to 100 minutes maximum. But I think closer yeah. to 90 typically will do your job. I think you'll find a lot of the movies in this collection are like less than 90 minutes. You, you'll notice, like, get in, get out, do the job. And uh, to be fair, it's 1981. The It hasn't fully defined itself yet as far as what a slasher movie is. I think that this is sort of somewhere between a slasher movie a thriller and like you say a giallo there's a lot of like who is it who's the bad guy and a lot of like shade is thrown on specific characters so we don't know who is what but uh one thing one thing that would be missing from that was would be the sex though yeah there it is a pretty clean movie that way yeah and but what i found when the violence happens i found it kind of surprising just the level because there were some pretty impressive actual kills in this film and uh and enjoyable in that way but i I, i'm glad so happy you pointed out the the length because i wanted to mention a film like this it's almost two hours you're right and it's easily the longest of the of the six here and you feel it there's there's easy cuts to make in this film there's there's scenes that don't add uh, anything to the story or they're not interesting or scary or funny or, or i'm not sure what their inclusion was for there's there's the scene where the two go up in the bell tower and uh, he, the dude cuts his hand and blood falls down on the floor and there's like, yeah. oh, what happened? And then it turns out nothing happened. Like, that is five, ten minutes of film that does nothing. It doesn't push character. It doesn't push plot. Nothing of consequence happened there. Like, it's kind of amazing it's still in the movie. Yeah, this could have been a really good tight 90-minute movie. I think if it would have been 90 minutes, it could have been an, a classic. Uh, thought of a lot more. Um, I, I do want to, I mean, yeah, we talked about the kills. There's some, you know, the cover one you always see is the, the guy with the shish kebab in the mouth that's on the front poster. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of always what grabbed your attention. When you were young, you'd see that VHS and say, what is this? And uh, you need to check it out. Um, I don't know if I was as into the movie when I was young. It didn't speak to me as much, but uh, maybe it was the strangeness around the ending which uh, now I really like the ending. I think it's... And you talk about the second time to watch it. I think the movie works less good the second time. I think watching it fresh is better. Right. Unless you're trying to make sense of it because um, I, I find the ending, when it becomes our early character's birthday, that scene is legitimately kind of creepy, I find. You know, when she's singing happy birthday to me and there's all this death around. and uh, But then the reveal of who the killer is 
it sort of makes sense until you think too much about it and realize, I, I don't know how much you want to say about the well, ending or not. Uh, I agree. It doesn't make any sense at all. And the reason it doesn't make any sense at all is because they had an ending as scripted and they decided last minute to change it. The whole yeah. uh, half-sister and the woman's wearing a mask. Like, originally, Melissa Joan Hart was crazy, and she killed all of her friends, her doctor and her father, and celebrated her birthday with a bunch of corpses, roll credits. But at the last minute, you know, committee thinking, they decided, no, we're going to change it up. There's got to be a twist. We're going to do something. And they backed into this new ending, which makes no sense. But it is creepy and strange, and you can't predict it. You can't see it coming, because the filmmakers didn't see it coming. And it does somehow land with some measure of impact. Like, I mean, I, it does sort of work in a weird kind of accidental way. But, yes, analytically, if you were going to look at this and say, did you do anything to set this up? Does it make sense? No. They had to cut a major death out of the movie, apparently, where the, originally the woman had her head split with an axe, but they couldn't show it in any way that the MPA would allow it. So that character disappears until towards the end of the movie, she's seen standing in the rain catatonic with fear. Is that what that is? Because that made no sense. I couldn't understand what that was. There's a lady standing in the, in the graveyard. Yeah, she was one of the friends. She was supposed to have been killed off, but they cut that scene and that was their solution. Yeah, that, that turned me off, or not turned me off, but it, it confused me, and it kind of took me out for a little while trying to figure out what was this all about or what was happening. But uh, when the half-sister pulls her mask off, that's the moment where I, I guffaw. I yeah. <laughs> let out a good, because the way she does it, it's like a Scooby-Doo reveal. It really is. Like, there's no indication that there's a mask, and she just pulls this nylon off her face, and it's like, oh, wow, look at that. It changed your teeth and everything. And it's like there's, a modern Mission no Impossible mask. Like, there's no mask in yeah. the 80s that would have been that perfect. Her boyfriend yeah, yeah, was right next mask. to her, didn't see the difference, you know, like... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, and that's what I thought, too, Mission Impossible. Just, uh, but, uh, but, and then it turns out her explanation for why she was setting her up and why she wanted to kill her, I guess in that part it made sense until I thought... Wait, why did she want to kill all of her own friends, though, as well? Yeah. That part I couldn't <laughs> get on, but... Uh, and why I all this work with Melissa Joan Hart's backstory and her sort of big eyes and singing to herself? Like, if she's not crazy, why is she doing all of that shit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an entertaining movie. There's some great things to it. Uh, I just think it, it could have been tightened up a bit, and... Uh, I don't know. I, I found as it was going, there were scenes that kind of draw, draw on a bit. Dragon, and uh, I found it at some points. I think I'm not sure if I really like this movie as much as I thought I did. And then <laughs> it's over, and once it's over, I feel like okay, no, I liked it. That was that was fun. But, uh, and just to do service to the kills, because uh, we are going to talk about best death. We're going to do some Jerry's, like we haven't for a lot of time here. Uh, yeah. Two in particular that stand out for me, just for creativity, prop kills. There's the motorbike kill, where the guy gets his scarf thrown into the wheel of the the motorbike. Right, mm -hmm. and the weight room kill. Yeah, that that was a good one. That one. Uh, the yeah, again, depending on who the killer is, that seems to suggest someone very large and powerful is doing the killing. But uh, <laughs> oh well. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. The, the shish kebab one gets all the the press, but the weights that one uh, 
was well shot because you don't see as much as you think you see, but you feel like you see a lot. Yeah. It, just the way it's cut together. This guy's um, trying to bench press, and the killer adds a bunch of weights and is just going to spot for him, and then isn't helping him to lift the weights. And as he's struggling with it, he drops one of the measured weights right on the guy's crotch, and uh, the results are are not good for anybody involved. <laughs> yeah, and you got some good open brain surgery as well, which oh, yeah. is, uh, was pretty impressive, especially for the time as well. They didn't skimp on the gore, and uh, again, I just think it has an identity problem and a pacing problem. And uh, But for people like you and I who like this type of movie, there is stuff to be found here. It's just a, it's a bit of a sit. Yeah, and I watched it the day before my birthday, so that was extra fun. <laughs> Appropriate. Who will dare to face the challenge of the monster? Who is mad enough to enter that world of darkness? Something is alive in the funhouse. Something not alive like its father. Something better dead. Something that has the form of a human, but not the face. This better be good. It's gonna be great. Something that feeds off the flesh and blood of young innocents. Come on, here we go. This is it. Something that tonight will turn the funhouse into a carnival of terror. Pictures. The Fun House. It's a carnival of terror from Toby Hooper, the director who terrified you with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right, The Fun House from Toby Hooper. I know I have talked some shit about Toby Hooper on the podcast before, but even though I've talked shit about Toby Hooper, I put two of his films in the best films of the 70s. I really like his version of Salem's Lot, and I have a lot of respect for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and it seems to me that the later into his career is sort of where things become really more problematic. He starts losing his budgets and I don't know, I don't like to talk shit about, you know, people, but word on the street is he had a bit of a drinking problem and that started to affect his work later into his career. This is early. I misspoke. It was not 1980. It was 1981. I hate myself. Uh, I, I love 1981. So. It, oh no, it's a great year for horror movies. Like it genuinely is. It's, sort of kicking down the door for what the 80s horror is going to be. So, like, yeah, we appreciate that. There's something about that carnival freak show aesthetic that's always going to be appealing and for some reason doesn't get exploited near enough in the horror genre. Maybe it's because of the ugliness of the legitimate freak show thing. Like, we don't appreciate it though the way we used to, the sort of whole carny thing. You, you want to look away and yet you want to pay to see it. Um and what it would be like to quote run away with the circus what is it like if your entire life literally is the circus like like that can't necessarily be good for you psychologically so i think that it's a great setting and toby hooper has proven in the past that he can deliver the goods as far as horror goes and again all of these are marking in the plus columns 
I think the cast is pretty solid, and the scenario is not completely guffaw unbelievable. Are the kids smart? Are their choices good? No, but they're dumb kids. They're at this carnival, and they decide, you know what would be fun? Let's 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 stay overnight in this locked up ride. What could possibly go wrong? We'll have a blast. But it's you're right. It's a fun idea, and it, you start watching this when you're young. You think that would be cool. Like jump off, go in the dark, dark yeah. funhouse ride, jump out the cart, and hide in there. Just spend the night. It would be a, a neat thing at that age. I think. Yeah, it's a it's dumb adventure, adventure that you would do when you were sixteen or seventeen or you know whatever. And you know, so. It's not completely, you know, facepalm. These guys are, like, doing everything wrong. What's that sound? Let's go investigate, <laughs> you know? I think that that it has a lot of it going for it. I guess my, my reservation, and I do like the Funhouse, my overall reservations about the movie is even though it's 95 minutes to me, it felt long. Oh, yeah? There's something about the movie, particularly the the first half an hour, and kind of some of the repetitive nature of what goes on inside the actual thing, where it ends up feeling long in the way that, like, Happy Birthday to me actually was long. This one at time feels long. But what I appreciate about it is that it's not boring. It's, it's, it's setting the atmosphere. It's setting up legitimate reveals. When we finally see what's under that Frankenstein mask... It is genuinely shocking. <laughs> yeah, and, actually, uh, it's a good, it's a good creature, monster, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, um, it's probably the only monsterish movie, I guess. Because um, right, it is a slasher still, but it's a, it's a monster movie too. Yeah. But basic yeah. premise: they try to stay overnight at the carnival. They witness a carny murder, and they are spotted, and they're basically trapped inside the workings of this machine. And this creature is after them, and his father, whether or not he's biological or how that works. Uh, is helping to cover up the crime. So they're being whittled down and they have two obstacles and all the creepy sort of sideshow things. The gags within the ride that are designed to scare people can be used and reused again and again. Uh, There's also the inclusion of a little kid. This is a small pet peeve of mine, but usually when they interject a little Timmy character, and I believe his name is Timmy in this movie, uh, I'm never scared for them. I'm never scared for the kid. And the movie does not ever succeed in making me worried for the child. But everybody else, that's another story. Uh, as someone who's not been a big fan of Toby Hooper, this is me saying I am a fan of the Funhouse. The man knows what he's doing. If you like slasher movies, this is a good one. Well said. I think uh, we're on the same page a lot here for the, the things you're bringing up because uh, I do like the Funhouse and I'm I sometimes wonder if I should like it or, or not because there are things about it where I wonder if it's a full movie at times. But then I, I realize what he's doing and I appreciate it again because taken at its uh, at its base, it almost seems like the first half is just these kids at a carnival and they're going on rides. They're going to check out the freak show. They're going. They're playing carnival games. They go and uh, the Funhouse ride. What else? Is Strip the tassel to, girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You go to the, the fortune teller. Yep. All this stuff, and then they don't. The first kill isn't until about forty-five minutes in the movie, and so I, I. It almost feels at some point the horror movie doesn't start until fifty minutes in, when you get the reveal of of the guy that works at the Funhouse under the mask, and what's under the mask is scarier than the mask. It, 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 sure, it looks like it's guy in a mask or some <laughs> makeup, but. 
but it, that is a total Fangoria cover. Oh yeah, you know, back in the days, like you, you'd recognize that phrase from the the magazine if you're, you know, the one that would look at those things. But after I realize and look at it differently, I think uh, is he just filling time with these kids in the rides and checking out the animal oddities and all this, or is he building atmosphere? And I, the more I watch it, the more I understand you're building that atmosphere and you're feeling this is a, a creepy carnival and there's just something about it. There's at one point a guy walks past and he's got like blood on him. I'm not sure. And you sometimes notice him, sometimes you don't. Uh, it's not part of the movie, but there's something weird going on and there's some homeless people around and no. there's just an uneasiness, kind of a dirtiness around. And the one guy that pulls it all together for me is he plays the freak show Barkers. I guess they're called yeah. uh, the guy that would stand outside the ride and say, "Come, send to the funhouse, see what horrors await." And then he's the same character. He played three characters in the film. Yeah. There's also the the guy at, at the animal freaks with the two-headed cow saying, "They're all alive. Come see." And he also at the girls with the tassels. But I, I really think him. He brings this whole. There's just something weird about the whole atmosphere, and I and I credit a lot to him standing outside the ride. And he would get eye contact with our, our main girl, and there's just uh, he would create that atmosphere. And, I, th- uh, I think they're showing us the difference too. Like the kids are just having a bunch of fun, but the people who work there, they're not having fun. They're at work, right? And there's an ugliness to the, all the bright colors. Like even in the opening title sequence, they're showing us pictures of clowns with these big smiles on their faces, and they have the same reaction that I would have, like of the creepy toys they showed at the beginning of Woman in Black. Like, they're meant to be jolly and inviting and show you come to the park. But in this context, right away, they're creepy. And I think that's what he's doing with the carnival, uh, the whole place. Like, uh, it's fun if you don't linger. And these kids choose to linger. (laughs) Yep, they could have just gone on the ride and went home. That would have been a a short movie. (laughs) But, right, though, it's... uh, uh, When I was young watching this movie, I enjoyed the first five minutes because that's where you know the shower scene yeah see i enjoyed i I watched that and then i would want to skip to 45 minutes in when it became the monster movie now being being older i appreciate the whole thing he's not really building story but he's building atmosphere and i i really enjoy now watching these kids just walking around this uh, seedy carnival well uh, and he does the same thing in the texas chainsaw massacre to be fair Like, we spend a lot of time with the group in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think that uh, he's more successful with the doom and gloom atmosphere in TCM in in the way than he is with the Funhouse because it's more up front and center where you can get distracted by the rides and the kids. But it's weird that I didn't really feel like I got to know the kids that well, even though we spent that much time with them. I think it's maybe more successful at atmosphere than it is at character. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I want to give credit for this movie for having the line, the most memorable line out of all six movies. It's when the uh, the monster's dad or whatever he is, when he says the words, with, with God is my witness, I don't hate the sound of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> What a sweet, what a sweet thing for father to say. I love it. <laughs> I don't hate the sound of your voice, son. It's beautiful. But oh. it, again, 
there are some parallels with Texas Chainsaw Massacre with this as well, with uh, Leatherface being kind of uh, tormented or being part of this weird family and not maybe knowing what he's doing. And this creature here, he's told, okay, you have to do one more bad thing for me and then we'll go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> he says, so he has to go kill these kids to get rid of the witnesses and then yeah. they're going to go fishing. All right, you killed, you, you went and killed this girl, but we'll cover it up and make it okay. Oh, great, now we have witnesses. Well, we'll kill the witnesses, we'll get rid of the bodies and then we'll be... But yeah, it's sort of like he is a monster, and yet, as far as this carnival book guy is concerned, he's one of the boys. You know, he's part of the family, and he's going to do whatever it takes to defend him. Um, we don't like either of these guys. That doesn't win any points with us. I don't. I'm not sad when I see him get skewered by the sword and uh, shot several times towards the end of the movie. But I like that in a weird way. Uh, they're both terrifying. They're both threats. But like, uh, he in a. Well, it's hard to say he's the more malicious of the two because the creature did kill that woman <laughs> at the beginning, but he uh, is the one that's sort of driving the violence in a weird way as far as killing these kids. Uh, and yeah. the, the creature, maybe it's not conflicted, but, you know, if it was grown, if it had been raised in a different environment than this carnival, you know, <laughs> maybe he'd be okay. Uh, there is ugliness <laughs> yeah. to the movie as well. Uh, I I really love the scene where um, Timmy gets rescued from the carnival and his sister is still trapped in the works of the machine, but she can see through the spinning fan blades that Timmy is being driven away by her parents and she is screaming, screaming to them, but because the fan is right in front of her, no one can hear her. I really like that image. And those tunnels are used very well later when uh, another character gets trapped between the fan and this creature. And she is attacked, and we don't see what happens to her, but I really feel like it, it, there may be an implied sexual in, sort of uh, layer to that attack. It's yeah, drawn the, the monster out. does like, uh, he does enjoy sex, that's been established. But uh, yeah, I, I took it to be that he just kind of looked like he's clawing at her and... Uh just kind of used his hands just to rip her apart they, and, and you're right, they cut kind of away toby so, yeah it's kind of that toby hooper thing again kind of like chainsaw where we don't really there's not a lot of gore but it I mean, feels there, like there's a lot of gore <laughs> yeah I, I don't know it's uh again it's they didn't use a lot of uh not a lot of fake blood was used in this production right that's what i mean yeah but i mean um yeah people get stabbed people get uh Shot. I guess it's not. It's not Friday the Thirteenth. We hadn't sort of necessarily gotten to the Tom Savini maniac prowler Friday the Thirteenth end of it. But that said, in the same year, Happy Birthday to Me had some pretty good gore to it. Um, That's true. But it is. It's a constant misnomer about Texas Chainsaw Massacre that that movie is so crazy violent. No, it's not crazy violent. It's crazy intense. And this movie's not crazy violent. It's more scary. And I think that's where it's more successful. I think that if a slasher fan is disappointed, it maybe they they want a little bit more teeth and tissue. I think the yeah, the, like I said, where I started, the carnival atmosphere and the sort of vibe of the movie is frightening. The kills are kind of just like the the bonus on top of it. Really, it was sort of like the 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 scene yeah. is set so well that uh, it it works as well as or better than anything else and it's not session nine but i keep talking about session nine was a movie which has such an impressive atmosphere that almost anything that happens in that place would be scary somehow yeah. 
<laughs> so that's an accomplishment. So I am softening on Toby Hooper, but still, you you look at some of his later work in his career, and it does get it gets pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's definitely fun to be had at the Fun House. Yeah. And uh, I was at that right age when I saw it the first time. And uh, where I would go on these rides anytime the carnival came to town, we'd have for a big summer exhibition. And I loved being in that cart, going through the dark tunnels. And in my head, I would think, what if there was a creature that lived in this fun house? Yeah. And that would make the ride so like, and they'd get so dark in those rides too. Yeah. Uh, and so the idea of what if you're staying here overnight when everything's shut down? And, uh, but yeah, it's uh, for the kid in you, I think if, if you have a young kid, 13, 14, yeah. and uh, they can still you know, get past the 80s-ness of it, uh, it could add a little extra freight to them too. Yeah, bit of a pacing thing, but you're right. I, I like the idea of those little cart rides. I don't know if they still even do those anymore going through, like, oh, yeah. that'll yeah. take you through and these mechanical ghosts will jump out and go boo. And you can hear and see all the mechanical things happening, and when you're an adult, it's harder to be scared by them. But a lot of the rides at the very end, right before they leave, they have an actual staff member in a mask that'll come out and go, boo. That'll get you. So that's the question, or that's the thing about the funhouse. We're going to make a movie about the guy that lives in that thing, and he says, boo. (laughs) And uh, keep the mask on, please. turn three left for dead uh the director declan something or other <laughs> i'm such a professional That's exactly it. declan o'brien he actually does a, a two or three of these going forward and i have been up to this point in the series kind of an apologist for the wrong turn franchise the first movie i've always had sort of like uh, i don't know a guilty pleasure response to i think that there's some great sequences in it they got a way better cast than they the almost needed for that movie and yeah there's some problems with it but it's fun and it's quick and it gets the job done and part two as far as direct to city to video sequels go like is kind of amazing like it's impressive what they did with it so even though it's direct to video and it's you know cannibal killers in the woods part three wrong turn three i walked into this one with some optimism which was unfortunate <laughs> like which was a little unfortunate I, uh, well, right off the bat, I mean, I think when you start the film, you, they get you. I, I found that I, they got me on their side. It opened well, right? Yeah, as far as you know, it opened up with a with a nude scene, I guess, and and a really good kill. That was the uh, the bow and arrow through the breast and then through her eyeball. Yeah. That was a really good kill. Unfortunately, that was probably the best kill of the whole movie, and it happened in the first three minutes. But it does set this tone and. Some will say good, some will say bad. But yes, we were introduced to two girls. I think they smoke some weed. And one of them instantly takes her top off. And Because. Because. And again, 
I, I, I'm not here to crush anyone's dream. I don't think she was an amazing actor in any way, shape, or form. I think that she was cast because she was willing to put up with the makeup and put up with having her boobs out for the sequence. And yes, as you say, she is killed very graphically after we see her boobs involving her nudity in the, in the kill and her eyeball and everything. And here is Three Finger, and he's got his little, uh, I guess incest baby nephew something i don't know what the exact relationship is that he's yeah, raising that became his son from the second didn't it or was it i can't remember uh, no. i don't i don't think it matters it doesn't really matter he's teaching this little uh, kid mutant how to kill and, and and cannibalize people in the woods and i don't know if this establishment supposed to be oh cute look at their bonding over their murder <laughs> but right away to me i was like okay this is immediately kind of into Friday the 13th 5 territory. This is a sleazier entry of Wrong Turn right away. Now on top of being a sleazier entry of Wrong Turn right away, is it going to be fun and engaging the way that I felt that the first two were? And the short answer to that question for me is no. I, it involves mainly once the plot kicks in, there's a bunch of prisoners, bus, bus sort of a fugitive opening, right? They uh, stage an escape, they get off of this bus, they're in the wilderness, and uh, they have to walk out. But right away, like they haven't even recovered from the crash, they're being hunted by these cannibal creatures. And the scenes sort of cut between people walking through the woods, yelling at each other, and, you know, telling lies and backstories that we don't care about at all. And these booby traps being set by the creatures and then being hunted by the well I guess they're not creatures the inbred hill folk whatever you want to call them um, and when the kills come well, that's what I'm there for so I guess I'm happier but almost all of the character stuff I find either boring or just poorly executed or just stolen from so many movies that we are not even halfway through the movie where I feel completely checked out completely checked out and I know that the movie's trying, and they do definitely bring the gore in a few places. And that's when I get like, well, you guys do have practical effects here. You you just hacked off a fake limb. <laughs> Good for you. But there's a scene earlier in the movie where a guy runs into a trap, where the CGI in it is so terrible that when they cut to the practical effects after the CGI, it had me wondering why they bothered with the CGI at all. You shot great practical effects and then you ruined them with terrible CGI. Go with yeah, your strengths. Was... Lean into your strengths. Now, I hate being this hard on a low-budget direct-to-video wrong-turn sequels and the it unfortunately, I don't think really gets a whole lot better for the franchise moving forward here. But I don't know. Like I, I, I see that like within these kill sequences... They're fans of the genre, and they want to deliver the goods, but it's just its just not coming together for me. Uh, I liked the Wrong Term franchise up until this point. This is the one that changed my mind. But was it me? Was it my high expectations that made me want too much of the movie? Or did the movie genuinely fail? Uh, to that, I ask you. Yeah, it's uh, the one thing about this one, it started off, like you talked about the, the fugitive idea, but... Uh, a busload of prisoners being transported uh, during the middle of the night. And so at that point, I thought, okay, well, I guess maybe they're trying something different. Maybe this would be something interesting. How about, we all know about these wrong-turn cannibal hillbillies, whatever they are. 
Uh, they're they're good at killing off random teenagers. Maybe this they finally met their match. What about a bunch of hardened criminals? Right. What could this be like? But you know, and then they add all this backstory. One of them we're told is an undercover police officer, which we think, okay, we got a guy on the inside. Maybe this is going to play out somehow, or this is going to have something to do with something. And it turns out it doesn't. And uh, and then we have a side plot of now they found. Uh, a truck with a bunch of stolen money and right uh, an armored car sorry yeah uh, so they have all these prisoners trying to find freedom trying to f- get back to the the street there's all this stolen money they got to f- carry there's this infighting and one of these guys is an undercover cop and uh, it, it almost seemed like they're making it up as they went along or writing it as they went and then said in the end it doesn't matter none no, of that matters they're just a bunch of guys walking through the woods getting killed one by one and over and over again, it was the same scene of the same people walking through the woods, having variations of the same conversation over and yeah. over again. Like the violence was a reprieve. You're like, thank you for shutting that guy up. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And there was, a, I kept waiting for that police officer that was posing as, as one of the criminals for that to pay off somewhere or have something to do with, you know, this is going to turn things. But and then he just walked right into a trap and got his face CGI'd off as well. So, uh, and, and again, the CGI didn't work, but the makeup effects did. It was so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and it got kind of silly with uh, the one cannibal this time, Free Finger, I guess we call him. But he would just uh, show up wherever he had to be uh, for that kill to work. And you know, oh look, he's on top of that tree right in front of us now, or now he's here. But. Uh, a lot of it was pretty convenient just to have him picking them all off one by one. And there's something to be said about the level of dispassion that the film had produced in me that the criminals managed to catch the little mutant and kill it and they decapitate it and put its head on a stick to sort of say fuck you to the other cannibal and I felt nothing like I, I really it really didn't affect me like obviously that 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 kid was obviously a terrible monster and you know but so are these guys but in another movie that was you know trying a little bit more that could have been a really troubling sequence or what have we become or you know like uh or or tree finger he, we do see his reaction and he's not happy about it but that could feed into like tree fingers viciousness as we move forward in the movie but no it was just another plot point one down one to go yeah there were some uh there were some good kills you're right and uh the ones that were good were done quite well yeah but there was just the ones that were cartoon they uh some of them just really did not work and that's really where it's had to lose some points for me what gets me mad too is like if you a movie can have bad CGI. You know how I love uh, Deep Blue Sea, yeah, it's right? Gonna happen. You, you you can have bad CGI, but you shouldn't know that you have bad CGI. Like it should be aged CGI. It's like you know that look that would that would be passable in 1997, but it is not yeah, passable exactly, anymore. Yeah. When this movie came out, that was terrible, terrible CGI. Like yeah. the day it hit shelves. It was terrible CGI, and I personally resent that. Like, it was one of those things, like, if it was a makeup effect that was that bad, you would have reshot it or cut it out of the movie. Like, why is it in there? Like, that is yeah, a is bad, bad decision. Yeah, this is 2009. We should, we've got to know better. Yeah. 
Um, here's something positive I can say about the movie because I haven't said anything positive about the movie. <laughs> the entire cast is British, pretty much. Oh, yeah? You'd never know it. I think that's kind of impressive. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they, yeah, uh, very they, they shot it overseas, and apparently the cast all got along. They had a great time doing it and <laughs> pouring blood all over themselves. I think it was a movie that was a lot more fun to make, unfortunately, uh, than it was to watch. It's too bad, though, because I do have affection for the Wrong Term franchise, or at least for what it wanted to be, you know, which was yeah. sort of fun slasher movies in the woods you know and um, i don't know yeah i don't i don't mind them i think they're they're fun they're uh they're kind of they're simple you can put them on and it's just you know people getting killed in creative ways and some gruesome stuff happens uh, yeah just, this is just this just isn't one of the better entries no, they had entries. something going here though those first two kind of worked for me you know it just this i'm i'm not mad scott i'm disappointed <laughs> <laughs> now how about, can we talk about the ending? Yes, please. Which, okay, well, which ending? Uh, this movie <laughs> had, like, three endings. Uh, and, of course, you got to have your slasher, your killer, be unkillable. So he, the first time he died, what, they uh, stabbed him in the, the chest, I believe, in, in the house. Full through. And then, yeah. Yeah, right through him. And, and then it was the big hug. Oh, thank God this nightmare is over. And he's back. <laughs> and then they leave, and uh, they get away on the truck, and there's three finger in the middle of the road and what he does then is something indiana jones couldn't even do on his best day when he uh he swings a, a hook and flings himself up on the back of the moving tow truck in in the worst green screen effect i think i've ever seen yeah, i mean that is a, how did a, he get ahead of the car the how did he yeah, get he, ahead of the car while being impaled? so we we get this extra battle that the, and, and they kill him again this time with a uh, well, hook through the face. So this this should do it for sure this time. <laughs> and then, okay, great, the movie's over. He's not coming back from that. And then we learn one of the convicts has changed his ways. They go their separate ways. Let's, you know, do good with our life now. And, and everything, that the movie should be over. Yeah. But then we have that little, that little stinger at the end where the good cop goes back to get all the stolen money. And the other convict that turned good Kills shoots him. him in the back. And then one mysterious hillbilly shows up and kills that guy. Yeah. And we're looking at his feet to know, wrong turn four, coming soon. Yeah, and the thing is, is that I think that they did definitively, air quotes, kill tree finger, Three Finger. Like, he was burning. His carcass was on the car on fire the last time we saw it. So I think you're right. I don't think that was supposed to be Tree Finger. There's, there's just, we're never going to run out of, of <laughs> cannibalist hill folk. But yeah, uh, it I just, just thought it was. I wanted the movie to be cool. over, and it kept on not being over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then that tow truck scene where he just flung himself on the back was just too much, and and it's bothered me when we're gonna we're learning it. We're supposed to learn a lesson or something about about good. I don't know what they're trying to teach us, but you know, the one guy that turned changed his ways, and and then in the end, everybody just killed each other, and yeah. uh, it just seemed all for nothing. I don't know. I didn't really get if they were trying to do something moral, moralistic with it or, or what, but I was already checked out by that point anyway. Yeah. You can skip this one, you guys. <laughs> Good enough. This is what we call an urban legend. Contemporary folklore passed on as a true story. Something you might have heard about mixing pop rocks and soda. 
supposedly. Your stomach and your intestines burst. Voila, still alive. Mr. Brooks, please. He's gonna explode! Somebody call 911! <laughs> They are the legends we've all heard. Gang members drive around at night with their headlights off. And when someone goes to flash from their high beams to warn them, they kill them. The stories we've all told. A guy and a girl, and they're parked out in the woods. And the guy steps out, and the girl starts to hear these scratching noises. It's her dead boyfriend hung from a tree. The tales we've all listened to. Isn't there another story about a guy with an axe hiding in a woman's back seat? My mom still checks the back seat before getting into a car. But just because it never happened doesn't mean it never will. The decapitated body was found in her car. I knew I should have gone to NYU. This girl, she could have been any one of us. What if there is a lunatic on campus? What is he gonna do next, huh? <laughs> Maybe put spider eggs in Bubblicious? <laughs> the idea of an urban legend serial killer. It's a stretch. The call's coming from inside the house. Could it be an urban legend? <laughs> So we're going to jump ahead to, or I guess, we're going to 1998, an urban legend. It's directed by uh, Jamie Blanks, and subsequent to this, he did a movie called Storm Warning and a movie called Valentine, and I think they're both better <laughs> than urban legends, uh, but urban legend does have uh, some charm to it, but its big problem, as far as I'm concerned, is its 90s-ness. Whereas I have an affection for horror movies that are very 80s, horror movies that are like way deep into the 90s uh, have a certain aesthetic. And I guess we have, we kind of have to blame Scream for this, where yep. it's so self aware and so winky and so pop culture reference focused that they forget the scary part. They forget the part that this is actually a horror movie. They're so much more interested in being cool and meta. And this is a problem that happened throughout the 90s and that almost got overcorrected in the early 2000s when we got, you know, torture porn and all this really super dark horror started coming. I almost think as a response to how soft a lot of horror movies were getting. And that would be my description of Urban Legend. It's a soft slasher movie. It's a slasher movie you can watch with your mom. You know, it takes all of these classic stories, you know, uh, legends about there's a guy in the backseat of the car, the hook-handed killer, and um, uses that as a framework for these campus set killings. Uh, once again, another Canadian-made slasher movie, but it doesn't have that same flavor of the 80s exploitations. This is just another glossy, kind of well-executed, big-budget wannabe screen. But it is so not Scream that, and it doesn't have a strong enough identity of its own, that it sort of feels like a 90s slasher movie. And if you're in the mood for a 90s slasher movie, for sure, here it is. And, uh, you know, you got your young Daniel Harris, you got babyface Jared Leto, you got all these references to 90s TV shows and 90s fashion and 90s music that's going to age the movie terribly, that's already <laughs> aging the movie terribly. But if that's to your taste, I think you could have a lot of fun with Urban Legend. 
But for me, especially considering some of the edge that the other movies I was watching on the list had, this felt kind of bland to me. Maybe not necessarily bad, but kind of bland. That's where I'm starting with Urban Legend. I'm kind of surprised because we're totally going the same way, and I I wasn't sure if you were going to be going that way with this one. Oh, where you agreeing? Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of stealing my my lines, but oh, uh, <laughs> uh, because I, I wanted to say it's a it's a date night slasher, you know, because it, and it was for me when it, in back in the late nineties ninety eight I seen this when it came out with with my wife, and there's something it's isn't it funny how we look and say oh this movie is so nineties and we hold that against it right. but if it's something this movie is so eighties we love it to death for exactly that reason yeah but there there's something about these late nineties slasher films that there there's a and if you look at the covers of them you can tell from the covers you look at the cover of scream i know what you did last summer urban legend uh halloween h2o came about you know the same time around uh and i think well sort of different but final destination even just the look of the cover it's good looking attractive young stars and it just shows their faces in the background maybe there's a knife or a mask or whatever that's something sinister for that movie yeah, but that's that's what they sell it on. It's the attractive cast plus there's something in the background that's maybe scary. Uh, and, and for you know, Scream, I know what you did last summer, and Urban Legends to me, I think were kind of like the big three ones of that era that kind of caught on. And uh, for for me, Urban Legend is easily the third best franchise of uh, <laughs> or the third best movie of them as well. And you're right, yeah, the the nineties of it, um, it it just doesn't catch me the same it's uh you know all the, you know the, your little in joke for um what's his name the guy from uh he was in dawson's creek uh, right uh, joshua yeah. jackson or something yeah, that's his name yeah uh, you know i wasn't a fan my wife loved the show but uh, you know he goes in his car and turns on the radio and the theme song for dawson's creek comes on and he turns it off and that's supposed to be funny because oh look that's the show he was in and yeah we don't need that in this movie. and if they'd done that in like uh, Happy Birthday to Me with Melissa Joan Hart when she was like watching Little House in the Prairie for a scene, that would have been obnoxious and distracting. But in the 90s, that's funny and meta, right? And again, that's Kevin Williamson. That's the Scream effect. And I like Scream, but what Scream managed to do was to be doing that while still being an effective horror movie. And I yes. think that that's where uh, this movie comes up short. Not that all of the uh, suspense sequences are failures to wall to wall, but uh, it's always being undercut by the by the huh huh. Look at us! Look at us! Look at this young, affordable, popular on TV cast, and uh, look how winky we're being. And the more you wink, the less or, or the more difficult it becomes for us to be scared at the movies. Um, and that's why, you know, Scream is a harder thing to reproduce than, than people realize. I like that, you know, they were definitely horror savvy, like the casting of Brad Dourif as the gas station attendant at the beginning of the movie presses a lot of buttons for fanboys, right? There's Chucky, there's this guy who's been Exorcist 3, a lot of great horror movies. I recently talked about Graveyard Shift. He's great in that movie. But he's a, this this horror movie face that we're like she shouldn't trust him and we're using it but I know where this scene is going 
from the second she sees Brad Dorf. Like, I, I, I'm not fooled by the scene. Maybe if I was fooled by the scene, it would be more effective. But this is sort of the cold open of the movie. This is the big, whoa, get into urban legend. And he's in the back seat. The creepy gas station attendant is trying to get you out of the car to warn you about the psycho in your car. That's why he's being weird. Um, yeah. And it's a classic urban legend story. And, like, I see what they're going for. And I even think that it could be a, a, a good idea for, like, a scary horror movie. In a way, that's kind of what Candyman's about, right? Urban legends that sort of manifest yeah. in real, literal kills. So it's not like it couldn't have worked. Um, and I do think the sequence with Joshua Jackson being hung by inadvertently by his girlfriend w- was well done. Uh, that, that sequence by itself worked. It was sort of a good... And... It's technically an accomplished film. Like, it looks good. The acting is good. Like, I don't want to be mean to the film. I just, I didn't feel very much while I was watching it. I want to mention, you mentioned the first, uh, the opening scene. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wanted to, you know, point that out as well. Because I thought that scene, for me, I thought that scene was well done. Like, mm-hmm. that one, I think it got me. Because he's so clearly the bad guy that works at the gas station. He's too creepy, right? right. So, so, whoa, this is weird. Why is he, don't trust him. And, you know, and it turned around and said, oh, right, he's trying to tell you the, the guy's in the back seat. But the way it was shot and the way it was executed and, you know, the way the music hit, I thought that was maybe the best scene of the film as far as my, my thoughts. Um, and it ends with, a, with a, a beheading. I mean, it's not, again, this is not a graphic film as well. It's a date night horror movie. And, uh, you know, you, your, your girl will hold your hand during it or <laughs> whatever. But... Uh, it's it competent. stylishly done, I thought. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's very, just, very well done, for sure. I just, it, I, just I want it to be scary. That, it didn't follow it the whole way through, though, the same way, but it got a little bit uh, coincidental the way some of these urban legends just happened to happen. Um, you mentioned Brad Dourif. We also got Robert England. That's right, Professor, we got, yeah. We got, we got Freddy Krueger in this movie, and another recognizable scary face. We didn't really use him the way we could have. No. I, I felt uh, there's also I'm trying to remember find the name of the actress Rebecca Gayhart. Uh, right. She was briefly, I think, in Scream Two as well, but um, I don't know what her claim to fame was. There's something familiar about that actress. She must have been in some high-profile movie at some point. Um, I think her big thing was she was in a lot of uh, makeup commercials, or she was a model. I think okay. for uh, some some makeup product. But. Well. I'm going to go ahead and spoil some urban legend for you. This movie is from 1998, so here we go. Uh, she turns out to be <laughs> the killer in this movie. And I can't decide if she has a really good crazy face <laughs> or a really bad crazy face. She has a definite crazy face, though. She I, does. I enjoy her performance once she is openly crazy. Yes. Because she's, she's kind of bland throughout the film. But when she goes full nuts and reveals, even her hair gets crazy. She's she's so big. So big. When when it becomes, hey, I'm the bad guy, all of a sudden her hair is insane and she's over the top crazy. Yes. There's no way. We couldn't have known she was crazy. How did she hold like this? Where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah, I did did like her performance in kind of a cheesy way, (laughs) you know, near the end. Uh, Because it does become that that late 90s whodunit slasher yeah. uh, where it scream I know what you did all of those type of, the big catch on it is 
any one of us could be the killer. Right. And you see a bunch of clues that implicate everybody. The main thing that they keep seeing repeatedly in this movie is the winter jacket that the killer is wearing. And that's the only, you know, there's not a hockey mask or, right. a, or, or something that they, they know of. But the killer always has this big winter jacket with the hood up so he can't see the face. It turns out everybody in this fucking town owns the same fucking winter jacket. And it makes no sense. The movie doesn't take place in winter. I don't see anybody cold. But uh, yeah, everyone, women, men, they have this winter jacket in their car, uh, in their closet. And it's, it's, it's just too much. Oh, look, he must be the killer. He owns a winter jacket. So everyone's scared of him now for a scene until he dies. Well, we're setting up payoffs and lessons that don't come up. The Jared Leto character is kind of like this soulless reporter, and you feel like he's going to learn his lesson some way through the course of the story, but no, not really. There's been a lot of time with this uh, security guard woman who's going to, you know, factor into it, and, like, there's no real surprise or twist with what they do with that character. I like Daniel Harris. She uh, was, of course, the little girl in... uh, Halloween 4 and 5 and now yeah. she's all grown up playing this like goth chick who's uh, got a drug problem and screwing a different guy in her dorm every night but uh, I know she's kind of like this uh, sort of coveted sexual figure in the horror community but I have a weird Drew Barrymore thing with her it's because I saw her as a little child I, uh, she feels like she's my niece or something like this Like I don't want to see her getting <laughs> doggy styled in her bed thank you no <laughs> this isn't doing it for me at all <laughs> and uh, her character is again a trope of the slasher one and this is not necessarily me talking shit about it it's just something that slasher movies have She's not a likable character. She doesn't say anything at any time, ever, that makes her warm or likable. So we don't feel affected by her death, by design. Uh, yeah, I think we're supposed to laugh when she dies, too, because it's uh, we're, she's making all this noise in her bed while she's being strangled, and her roommate thinks she's, having, she's sex. having sex again. Yeah. Yeah, and says, oh, keep it down, you guys. So we don't care that she's dying. We're supposed to like think it's kind of funny, in fact. So... I just again and again I see what the movie's doing and sometimes it's doing it well but I just I'm not feeling it I'm just not and, uh, feeling it yeah there's a bunch of red herrings in it uh, I'm trying to remember his name uh, Canadian actor uh, he was the janitor in the school Julian Richings Julie, exactly yeah and of course he's got kind of a creepy looking face yeah. you know and every time they see him he's in a dark basement looking odd and so you know they're trying really hard to make us think well maybe he's the killer because he looks kind of creepy and he also has a winter jacket dun 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 (laughs) fun fact Scott Julian Richings played three finger in the original wrong turn oh right right there you go wow no and I I like the guy Um, it's it's good to see Bucky Hate in any movie but that's uh, right (laughs) but I mean they did something they they did put a dog in a microwave that happened for that 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 doesn't happen in every movie um it was it was before right before that it was kind of of a scream moment because there was a phone call and i swear it sounded like the scream voice yeah do you like urban legends it was just too much screaming did you hear the the one about the hook-handed killer but you know like yeah, there's there's a dog in a microwave, and I said I liked the first kill mostly because of how it was shot, or just kind of the suspense about it. But was there a memorable kill in this movie? I maybe Joshua Jackson. Yeah, I mean, it, it, even that that was 
he was hung and yeah. he was off screen, really. But um, the fact that her she was trying to speed away and that was the thing that hung him, I thought was kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, because I feel like uh, Tara Reed's death could have been spectacular because that one was drawn out a bit. She was chased through the building and then finally cornered. The killer has his weapon up and then it's off screen and yeah. that's it. And uh, the slashing movie, I want to see some slashing. If I believe it was rated R, so if you're going to be R anyways... Earn it. Make it R. Earn yeah. It. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Almost, but not quite? Yeah. I mean, I do... We're I agreeing way too much this episode, dude. This is boring. We're going to have to pick a fight somehow. <laughs> okay. Next, next film, let's disagree. I think we will. Okay. Fifteen years ago, on Christmas Eve, his family became his victims. What have you done? Now. All roads and airports are officially closed. This one is not gonna let up. A group of college friends. That sucks, everyone should be home for Christmas. Are about to discover. Lauren, we're opening up presents. Why don't you open the present we got you? Their house. I got it. Is his home. All is calm. All is bright. Who is in my house tonight? Don't you have lots of toys to deliver to good little boys and girls? You really shouldn't provoke somebody like that. And on December 25th... You're definitely getting punked. Is that Santa's reindeer? All he wants for Christmas... Is Megan in her room? a new family he can treat like his very own. Look, I'm a, I'm a fan, in a weird way, of Glenn Morgan, the guy who directed this remake, Black Christmas. I have been and do cheer for him. He did a remake of this movie, Willard, starring Crispin Glover as a guy who can uh, yeah. control rats. And it bombed hard. And I don't know, I, I thought it, it had its own qualities. He's done like 17 or 18 episodes of The X-Files, and uh, he's written some stuff. But, um, well, this is the movie that kind of ended his feature filmmaking career. Yeah. It's weird to me because I think Willard failed, and he wanted to make something successful. And he thought, and again, I'm just putting thoughts and words in his head. I, I don't know his experience of things. He does a remake, high-profile remake of a famous slasher movie, Easy Money in the Bank, How Hard Could It Be? Well, it's harder to make a good slasher movie than you think. And again, I'm not going to be wall-to-wall shitty about this movie. In fact, there's some stuff that I get a lot of guilty thrill out of. But it is not Black Christmas. This is a remake of a movie called Black Christmas, which had a lot of really innovative point of view kills. In fact, when we originally did Slasher Cinema History, I came very close to putting that on the list instead of When a Stranger Calls. It probably deserved to be there before Stranger Calls, but at the time I wanted to use it for my Christmas episode because I was stupid. But anyway, we have a story there that's very, very bleak, 
themed on Christmas. Uh, you know, people getting abortions and, and uh, uh, a man's looking desperately for his daughter who he knows in his heart is dead. Like, he just knows the second that, he, that she's not where she says she's going to be, that something terrible has happened, and he's right. And it's got all this intense atmosphere, and it's not a Friday the 13th slasher. Friday the 13th, like, we hadn't got there yet. This was a different thing. Black Xmas... Glenn Morgan's take on the material is a completely gruesome, malicious, ridiculous, pull the eye out of the skull, uh, you know, gruesome feast of a horror movie. And I can be down for that. But that's Hills of Eyes. Like, that's wrong turn. That's not yeah. Black Christmas. That's not the movie that you are making. That's the movie that you made. And, um, so if I can t turn off my brain and say, okay, it's not Black Christmas, it's just a slasher movie set at Christmas time, I can actually have a lot of fun with how crazy the movie is, because, wow. let's be clear, Black Xmas is out of its fucking mind. <laughs> but the original is classic, and I don't feel the love and respect for the original, so I have strong reservations, nonetheless. Um, good cast and some solid moments to it, but I think maybe crazy, too crazy for its own good might be, uh, might be something I could say about it. I'm really split down the middle about the movie because I like the filmmaker and I like some of the stuff in the movie, but if I was making a remake of Black Christmas, it would look nothing like this. See, and I, I look at it saying... This is not a remake of, of Black Christmas because this is a completely different movie. You're right, and it's it's maybe a, a tribute to or inspired by with it's its own movie with nods to Black Christmas. You know, it takes certain things. You got the unicorn crystal and people with bags over their face getting suffocated, the sorority house. You know, certain ideas, but it's a completely different movie. You're right, and. Uh, is it a better movie than the original Black Christmas? No, no. no. Um, but, but, I will say it's a more fun movie than the original Black Christmas. And fun does and go a long way. This is, this is the one, uh, this is the guilty pleasure for me in this stack, where uh, when we spoke about guilty pleasures, I considered bringing this one into the mix. Uh, because this film is hated by by everyone I've ever spoken to, and I think maybe one shy person put up their hand once and said, "I like Black Christmas." Shut up! You know you don't. Know, I don't like it. But, Hate's a strong word. But, uh, Hate uh, is a strong word, but I do have problems. Yeah. No, no. Uh, this movie is is, hated. and most of it is because it's called Black Christmas, and <laughs> that's what really bothered people. I'm not rating this movie, comparing it to Black Christmas or how a remake of that movie should have been. I'm comparing it to five other slasher movies today and uh, my, the enjoyment I got out of that one. So that's kind of how I look at it. And uh, I, I think if you're going to do a, a remake, we've already had that Black Christmas. Take that idea and maybe what's your, your bonkers uh, take on it. And this one, you're right, it is gruesome. And there's so much there's so much eye trauma in it. If eye trauma is a hard thing for you, it's like such a gory kind of thing getting eyes pulled out and eyes eaten and eyes squished and eyes stabbed everyone dies from eye stuff happening so uh 
yeah, my daughter came in and, and watched a, a scene. Where she came down to say goodnight to me right before someone got their eye squished, and uh, she was not pleased with it. So <laughs> oh, come on, Brooke. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this is the one I feel like uh, every now and then I'll see someone on a, on a on a web page say something sort of positive about this movie, and I will get excited saying. I have way too much fun watching Black Christmas, and I know I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be better than this, but for whatever reason, this is balls out fun for me. Oh, uh, I think you like it more than I do. I, I, I'm getting that feeling. Yeah, from no, it. I like. <laughs> <laughs> See, and again, I will try and separate so. myself, but like, it's tough. The original film is a movie of patience and of atmosphere and, and uh, that did not have a lot of brutality to it. And you can't say any of those things about this remake. Um, and look, it's got balls. <laughs> like the, uh, the backstory that they come up with to the, like in the original oh, film, they have this series of phone calls that come to the house and it's clearly somebody with multiple personalities and we, we, we meet all of these characters through his voice. And what they have done is come up with a backstory where this little kid had abusive parents and he killed, a, or he witnessed them committing a murder and he killed the stepfather and then ended up fathering a child with his mother <laughs> on Christmas. Like, it goes really fucking weird. And once again, he's got this weird, uh, he dresses up female, which is like a, classic thing with a lot throughout a lot of horror movies Leatherface, psycho like the the weird gender confusion thing within horrors that i think we maybe need to consider outgrowing at some point but like yeah making cookies out of people's flesh pulling eyeballs out of their like face it's, it's incredible another interesting thing about the movie is uh the b cast of this is full of people, Michelle Trachtenberg and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, like actresses who end up going on to bigger, better things. They're like murder victim number two, murder victim number four. Andrea Martin, yeah. who was in the original uh, Black yeah. Christmas, and through SCTV, great Canadian actress, like to see her. Completely wasted in the movie. Love to see her, but completely wasted in the movie, right? So I think what they needed to do was to like separate themselves as far as they could from the original and just give it a different title and yeah like be your own crazy thing like I think it's kind of disrespectful to say you're making if you're making a remake of Friday the 13th and nobody dies in it you fucked up right like you've fucked up <clears throat> know what you are and be that and it's weird for me to say if this had a different movie, I would have a, a different title for the movie. I, it would have a more positive review, but that is sort of true for me. Like a lot of my problems with the movie is the conceit that it's Black Christmas, and that that to me either means that Glenn Morgan didn't see what Black Christmas was or didn't care, and instead he's just like, I'm going to make a gruesome slasher movie, which is going to you know hit all the marks for that uh, audience and i'm gonna make my money so i can make the next movie which i really want to do unfortunately it also yeah. bombed uh, and well, they, he hasn't made a feature since he's gone back to tv 
and this is one I've I've watched several times now. And uh, looking at some of the special features on it, if if you got that far after right. watching the movie that you wanted to see more, uh, they did have Bob Clark as executive producer. Yeah. They show him on set a lot, and he's approving this and saying, "Yeah, we're making a really you know fun, scary movie here." And, and he seems on board. Uh, you know, maybe he's supposed to or, or not, but uh, I didn't get the indication from him that they were uh, you know making a all over his, uh, his movie that he made but no, he's he's getting a paycheck out of the deal and like you know yeah. sooner or later they're going to get around to uh, remaking Black Christmas they're just it's a strange choice that way so if I try to separate myself from Black Christmas what are my reservations with the movie otherwise well I, I, I do think that the bonkers tone of the backstory and the serial killer when juxtaposed with the quote unquote reality of the the girls like they don't exist in the same universe at all but the movies still have these bizarre flourishes specifically andrea martin's death <laughs> yeah, i love that death by icicle completely random and again eye trauma right <laughs> mary elizabeth winstead's being yeah. killed in the car she backs away in horror she bumps into the wall the icicle falls she looks up and the icicle pierces through her head now that's ridiculous on its face and with everything else going on but like is it a comedy is this movie trying to be funny I don't are we I supposed just, to laugh the there the, what is your reaction supposed to be sorry. sorry the way the movie's going at that point uh, once that eye once the icicle falls right through her eye I I laugh and I'm having a great time. I don't know why. What's wrong with me? But uh, clearly something is. Uh, I'm not taking any of it seriously uh, from from the moment go. Uh, so it's like, yeah, why why not have an icicle go through your head by accident? And yeah. uh, that's good. Well, <laughs> and I think you just put up. your finger on it. I think that this movie doesn't take itself seriously, and uh, I uh, I wanted it to take itself more seriously yeah. than it did. The first one definitely does. Um, if this was Dead Snow, or if this was a movie like Evil Dead 2, where, like, wall-to-wall, everything was crazy and uh, dialed up to 11 at all time, and the characters were all cartoons, and, like, it was shot with the same level of insanity with which it was written, then I think, yeah, this could be, like, a Christmas-themed Evil Dead. It could be, like, a holiday tradition, <laughs> right? But it just yeah. doesn't I mean, quite you're... close the deal for me. <laughs> It kind of makes uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween look respectful right. in uh, comparison, I guess. Um, and uh, as far as the cast, uh, you touched on that a bit. There are people that that moved on to do stuff right, that are known for other things, uh, but their characters are really nothing in, in the movie. They're identified basically as the there's the brunette one, there's the blonde one, and then there's the drunk one and the other brunette and Andrew Martin. <laughs> uh, and uh, it doesn't really matter any of the backstories. They're all just there to get their eyes gouged out eventually. Yeah. Well, and again, the house mother in the original was kind of a funny character. She had bottles hidden all over the place. And uh, she was really hard on the girls. But at the same time, when their parents are around, she would lie on their behalf to defend their behavior. And you got Andrea Martin here. I don't see as often as I would like. Like, use her use her she could be really funny she was on SCTV you know let's let's see this yeah. middle aged woman try to be one of the girls with all these 20 nothings and fail and have it be kind of sad and funny or something you know but 
I admit, when we get into the crazy bonkers backstory and like the guy crawling through the the walls and under the floors and peeping at the girls and stuff like that, like there is fun to be had here. It's just it. It, 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 it sort of shifted my perspective of uh, Glenn Morgan a little bit like I, I I think he just he took the easy way out on making this remake of Black Christmas and he kind of made a tonal mess it does have moments of fun but it, it's it, he I think he thought down about the slasher genre I think he underthought the movie a little bit and he's fine, by the way. Like he's working mainly in television, but he and his partner basically created the Final Destination franchise. So, like, he's fine. <laughs> like, uh, it's not like he's like homeless somewhere, okay. trying to dream of like how he used to be something in Hollywood. But I do he's think not that living he's inside the walls. Yeah, he's a technically solid filmmaker, and I would like to live in the world where you know, fifteen years later, there were three or four other Glenn Morgan movies that we could be talking about. Because I bet you if he made a full crazy horror movie themed like this, we would, like, love it. Or if he, you know, I bet you he has a really good, solid, clean horror movie in him. This Willard and Black Christmas kind of sunk him. And it's unfortunate because they don't wall-to-wall suck. But I also get why the horror community kind of rejected them, too. So, it's tough. I want to like it more than I do. It, it has a moment where there's a, a bit of a twist to it. I'm, I mean, you kind of see it coming because there's no way that Billy, the, the killer, can be everywhere at once. That's right. Uh, when we finally realize that, yes, his sister is still in the attic and, and doing some of the killing herself as well. His sister daughter. Uh, so we end up <laughs> we end up having two killers, which you know, in, in the original, we don't know who is the killer. We in the end, it still could be the boyfriend. We we're never really shown exactly what who the killer is. It might still be out there. Um, but in this one, it's clearly these are our killers, and they messed up. And, uh, and what I I get a kick when if the film hasn't been crazy enough yet, uh, Billy's sister Agnes is played by I believe he was a camera operator or someone yeah. on the set, and they just said they kind of figured you got a, a weird look and long hair. Hey, you should you should be in the movie. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, they just and he's so clearly a male. Uh, you know, he's got those male features, but, you know, they put the hair in front of his face and he's got a manly voice. And and if the movie wasn't crazy yet, it's, it's getting crazier. And, uh, and yeah, if you've been taking it serious for some reason up until then, I think that's when you should just stop and say, OK, I'm not going to well, take those, this serious anymore. I think certainly by the time they have that one-two punch with Andrea Martin and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, it was very clear what the movie was like. And we get to the hol- the uh, hospital finish. It has a very Scream 4 ending <laughs> to the, the thing. Although this predates yeah. Scream 4, I guess. So Scream 4 has a, <laughs> a very black Christmas ending, I guess. <laughs> um, but... It, 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 there's fun to be had here. I don't think it deserves to be completely outright dismissed the way it has been. Same thing with Willard. Like, it's hard to find a physical copy of that movie anymore. Like, it's just been completely rejected. There are far worse movies than this. But, again, I, this is the problem with being a horror movie nerd. Like, I like the original property and I like the director. So I got excited about the movie. <laughs> yeah. And I can see, I mean, there is, a, like I said, there's a lot of hate for it. 
And most of that hate comes from people who have a love for Black Christmas, the original, and what it stood for and, and what it did. Yeah. And really the groundwork it laid for Halloween and for, I mean, a lot of people look at Halloween as being Black Christmas Part 2. Um, yeah. Well, now, it definitely capitalized. Halloween definitely capitalized on a lot of things that Black Christmas started. That is for sure true. But when Black Christmas, the original, ended, I found it genuinely chilling. The body is still up in the attic, undiscovered, and the phone is ringing. The killer has not been caught. Things are not okay, and credits roll. And when credits roll at the end of the remake for Black Christmas, I just shook my head and thought, that was crazy. That was crazy. (laughs) So, it was different. (laughs) I... Uh, it's different. I'll give you that. <laughs> Good enough? Midnight Movie. Well, you and I love Midnight Movies. This is the only film directed to this point by Jack Nesset. He does a lot of TV. He works camera for a lot of TV shows. Um, He's obviously a horror movie fan, and this is obviously a very low budget and tangibly, I guess, amateurish in its execution at times. It's not quite to the level of... um, Zombie Town, that movie that you and I reviewed years ago. Uh, oh, yeah. Where yeah, yeah. it's like so rough around the edges that you have to like hold your nose while you watch it. But it's getting close to that level. It's very obviously low budget. It's very obviously direct to video. I think this is a movie for horror fans specifically. And it's a horror movie that I think you have to meet it halfway. If you're willing to meet the movie halfway, I think you can have fun with it. It is certainly high concept, and I think that it, 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 it's not without its interesting ideas. There's been plenty of horror movies about cursed, cursed films. I, I recently talked about this movie Antrim, there's The Hills Run Red, and uh, John Carpenter made a, a, a short film for Masters of Horrors about a, a, a film of a, an angel being butchered that will curse anybody who sees it. So it's not necessarily a new idea, but I love the idea of like, once the movie is rolling, the killer can come and get anybody who's watching the movie. And until the movie is finished, there's nothing you can do about it. These people come to a theater late at night, watch a midnight showing of this infamous early 70s horror movie. And once the camera starts rolling, they can't leave the building. They're, they're stuck in there. No one can rescue them. And they have to deal with this killer. And while the movie's rolling, while we're watching this movie, or in the world of the movie, while they're watching the movie, they have to fight this killer and there's just nothing to do it. But they're on a clock. Can they survive 90 minutes? 
much like can we endure this 90 minutes and that as a concept i think is interesting execution's pretty oh, wonky but as a concept i think that's interesting the movie hurts in its acting and in i think the actual presentation of the film itself I think we spend a little bit too much time watching the old retro movie and them sort of trying to have fun stylistically. And it's cool for the director. He has two casts that he gets to work with. But I'm much more interested in what's going on in the theater than anything that's going on the screen. And um, I want to get to the kills. And when the kills happen, there's some fun to be had with the movie. But it's obviously amateur. So if you're willing to meet it halfway and have fun with it, you will. If you want to lean back in your chair and laugh and make fun of it, you can probably do that too. But I have so much more love for a movie that has a minimal budget and a high concept that tries and fails than a movie that felt sort of as by the numbers and kind of empty as like, well, urban legend, you know? I appreciate what they're going for here. I love what the movie wants to be while acknowledging that it's not successful completely at being it. So, a very conditional thumbs up for me <laughs> on this movie. Well, this one for me was a, a pleasant surprise. This is it's, it was the first time I've actually watched a midnight movie. Okay. It's one that I had uh, picked up from a video store, I think going out of business one day. I probably paid two dollars for it. And just it's never got around to it since, and it just was never one that said, "Hey, today's that day I should watch." It was never one that jumped to the front. So, and that's kind of why I'm glad this popped up on this list. It made me, all right, I'm going to finally watch this movie. Almost forgot I had it, and uh, yeah, the, the front cover it says the new face of horror, and it's got a picture of this this slasher killer, and and I'm left at the end thinking, uh, I kind of wish this wouldn't became almost a mini franchise because. Uh, the idea, as you said, is there, and as you as you watch the movie, you kind of figure out the rules of it, where he can't just you know pop in and out of the movie and kill the theater goers. He has to f sense their fear, and and it works because in the movie, if you rewatch scenes, you see someone's getting scared, and then the the camera frame kind of flickers and shows his face close up, and then it appears and it shows the point of view in the theater. Um, so. And then when they're not scared, he has to go back into the screen, or after he kills somebody, he goes back in the screen. So it is really a neat concept, and uh, and that part works. When the movie started, though, I like you, I kind of thought, oh, oh, I might have to, I might have to kind of help this movie along for a little bit because the acting was a little off. And uh, I found the lead actress; I found her to be quite good. Uh, I've never seen her in anything else before. Rebecca, I'm looking at IMDb. Rebecca Brandes, I think it is, but. I, I, I she looked I familiar know. to me, but I don't recognize any of her credits. But she does look familiar somehow. Yeah, and I, I think uh, for whatever reason, yeah, in the theater, the uh, her coworkers maybe weren't the strongest actors. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I had that feeling where I feel I might be kind of fighting against it a bit, but I'm gonna, you know, ride it and, and give it a chance. As we got further into the film, and as the the gore picked up, I. And as her coworkers died, I found the level got a lot better, and I was right on board with it. I was no longer, you know, trying to help it along. Um, some of the actors were better than others, but uh, I didn't have a problem with any of them. Uh, I think the worst ones maybe were her coworkers, yeah. and uh, they were dispatched fairly quick. So, uh, I one thing I did 
like about it. I didn't mind the movie within a movie either. Um, maybe it showed it more than they had to, but uh, it kind of got us into that whole, I guess, the mindset of that old movie and uh, and how this is going to work. But as they were watching the movie, um, two people have died on the screen that they've been watching. It's an old black and white movie. Yeah. And one of the characters, after the kill, he said the same thing I was thinking because there was not a lot of blood in that kill. And the character after watching the movie sounded disappointed and said, that's lame. That's not even that much blood. Yeah. Somebody watching the movie said, dude, it's only the second kill. It's going to get better. Just wait. <laughs> and that's exactly what I thought when I saw that kill. I thought, this is kind of lame. I thought that, that should be a bigger kill. But they thought, just wait. It's going to get better. And it does. And it did. And the killer has an interesting weapon. His signature weapon is a homemade sharpened... Drilled uh, it? Not a... Yeah, it's like a cone-shaped metal thing that he just stabs people with and turns it into their torso, their face, or whatever. And as he pulls it out, it's sharp on both sides, pulls out chunks of meat. It's uh, it's unique and it's pretty delicious at times. <laughs> if a killer's going to use the same weapon for all his kills, you may as well make it an interesting one. Well, and they're and trying that. Sharpening it. He has a signature weapon. He has a very distinct look to him. Like, uh, they're really going for this, like, horror sort of mainstay here that they're trying to create. And I think if he, you know, given the opportunity to make a more polished sequel and further develop it, who knows where it could have gone. But it's rickety. It's undeniably rickety. <laughs> But I'm affectionate towards it. Uh, it also has the problem of the cute little kid. I talked about this earlier with the oh yeah with the the funhouse. When whenever the kid's on screen, the level of tension goes down. I don't want to be mean to young actors. I don't think he's awful, but I don't think he's amazing either. I think he's to the task. Um, there's a, a couple. Uh, a biker and his girlfriend who um, they get a lot more screen time and they're attempting a little bit more characters and I think that again with more time and more finesse something interesting is almost happening there <laughs> you know but the stuff that works for me is they're trying to leave and suddenly the window slams down on this chick's hand and it's stuck like she oh. is pinned there and a guy gets attacked directly behind her, and because she can't move, she quickly becomes the next victim as it goes right through him and into her. And that whole setup, that whole sequence, you know, like, it worked within the world of the movie, and it made you think, like, what else can this guy do? Like, um, is there a way out for these people? And they try, like, I thought, well, destroy the camera, and they try that, but it doesn't work. The camera just corrects itself. They have to survive the length of the movie. In a weird way, it puts the characters in the same position of the audience and that they have to survive the movie with us. We all got to make it to the end together. And I do think that that, that is interesting and uh, I, I would love to have seen it developed more. Um, like, there's been plenty of great horror movies that have been made this way where somebody makes an independent movie that's high concept but low budget and the studio says, that's really good. Uh, you know what? Do it again with a bigger budget and a better cast and here's a bunch of money and I in a weird way feel like that's what this movie needed I, um, they, the studio it made enough money on video that they let him release a director's cut or a special cut of it so it actually got two tier of releasing on, on, on video and it 
you know, it made its money back. So it's kind of disappointing that he's never done any more with it. Like, like I said, yeah, I, it's it's so full of potential. I don't want to oversell it because of its amateurish qualities, which is undeniable. But I don't want to be mean to it. <laughs> you know, like this is yeah. his I mean, book of trespasses. You know, <laughs> like and. Uh, it deserves an audience, and uh, it, it's slowly, slowly, 15 years later, kind of getting one. But um, who knows, you know, what could have been. I, I was not aware of the uh, of a director's cut, but uh, this movie is quite gory, so I'd be interested in seeing a director's cut myself. Yeah. Uh, there's two editions of the movie, anyway. Um, one just has the mask on the screen, and this one, which is has the whole guy... I believe is the director's yeah. cut. So that's what I got. There you go. Oh, okay. So I think we both have the same. Have it. Anyway, um, well, I like it's, it's, it's four connoisseurs, right? Yeah, and, and you can't. Uh, you want to be on their side because they've they've got an idea. They've got a unique weapon, a unique killer, and uh, and rules to the movie. Whereas you know something like Wrong Turn Three that we talked about, their whole idea is, okay, we're gonna have a bunch of people. They're walking in the woods, and we're gonna kill them all. Yeah. Um, this uh, this had something to it. And, Imagination. Uh, yeah, ideas. you're right. It'd be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see a more polished version, maybe. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if I'd want to see a more polished version. I, I kind of like it's a little bit seedy, and I found maybe the first 15 minutes rough. But uh, I thought just if you stick with it, maybe just get used to it or something. You just get caught into okay, this is the beat of the movie. Uh, now I'm in in the rhythm. It's okay for me now. Yeah. And there's plenty, plenty of horror movie debuts that are rough around the edges. Rewatch the first 20 minutes of Hatchet. Like, uh, <laughs> before Hatchet really starts to cook, it's kind of rickety. It's charming. It's got its own sort of rugged charm, much like this movie does. But unfortunately, this movie never pays off as completely as Hatchet does in its third act. But um, I, I, I see talent here. I, I love what the movie wants to be, so that's the basis with which I'm, I'm recommending it. Um, but I don't think it's for just everybody. It's for people like you and I. It's for fans of slasher movies. Uh, fans who can see what they're going yeah. for and, and can get off on the imagination of it. I think you'll have... It's easily acquired for like under $5. You'll get your money's worth. And I think especially for the time where you can kind of forget some uh, more amateur acting yeah some people are harder on it than others and, and I can I can forgive that it's say okay well it's fine that's give me something else or do your best and let's see where we can go, go with it and uh, stick stick with it and uh, I don't know I, I was I, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I really did I thought well this will just be another so I didn't know anything about it but uh, well I wasn't fighting it uh, and even that's the key. <laughs> even uh, the, end, the ending scene with me, I even found it to be kind of a, a creepy thing on itself where it looks like our final act killed. And what happens? We find out you, you end up entering this room in the movie where everybody that's ever been killed by him exists. And they're dead, but yet they're alive. They've got their wounds and their injuries, but they, they're there to suffer forever, it looks like. And... Uh, I, don't, I found that just a, another level of creepiness to it. Yeah. And I was already on, on board with it, and uh, I really dug where it was going. 
They could do a sequel whenever they wanted to, by the way. Someone finds a weird print of this movie, or worse, someone decides, hey, what's this movie? Let's stream it on Netflix. <laughs> and then anybody who's watching <laughs> the movie on Netflix is up for grabs. Like, there's serious potential. Uh, it's like a better I, realization of like this old Wes Craven movie, Shocker, which was you know, a nice try, Wes, but not completely working for me. Um, there's something here. There's something here. So if you're a fan of the genre, think, give it a look. I think the problem is, you know, it's just past now. Um, it, the time for sequel is probably gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Enough to me have that following. <laughs> but it could have been more, I think. Reviewed and about to be ranked by Larry Parsons and my brother, Mr. Scott Lehman. Thank you for doing this. Um, it, it wasn't such a tough list after all. I mean, it, it definitely had its peaks and val valleys, but I, I did have fun with it, more, more or less. So. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I didn't. I, I had a good time doing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too, I guess. You know, don't oversell it or anything. <laughs> well, no, I, I did. I, and I liked, uh, I liked the difference and, you know, when we did this before. It was... Uh, six of the more famous sla uh, slasher films and now we're like you said six other slashers yes. <laughs> but uh yeah i guess if we're doing the rank i, I mean i i'm gonna go out on a limb and say we're not gonna go six for six but i know because uh, one of the movies was wrong turn three we're not gonna go zero for six there you go <laughs> uh, because that's that's where my rank starts down at the bottom with with wrong turn three um it just i felt like it's just easily the least interesting yeah of, the six movies and um, and I'm not trying to be mean I, like I said to you off uh, off camera or off mic um, there will be a time when I watch Wrong Turn 3 again because sometimes I just feel I don't deserve a good movie some nights some nights I'm like you know what I'm going to watch a not very good movie that I'm not a huge fan of yeah uh, so what that's me that's my problem I guess I had a friend who said she would always do her taxes while the Oscars were playing because she wasn't that interested in the Oscars, but she wasn't that interested in taxes, but somewhere between the two, she could get it both done. <laughs> it's background noise. Wrong Turn 3 is background noise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so number five, um, I felt like I was surprised before I watched it that it would end up that low, but uh, number five, I'm putting Urban Legend. 
Okay. I, I don't mind the movie. I, I don't want to come across too high. I don't mind the movie. There's a time and place for it. I just don't get that excited by it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and, and as I said in the review for that, I, I just feel like, Larry, is there a memorable kill from that movie? And in a slasher, there should be a memorable kill. And the movie that gets ranked above it in, what, number four? is known for its memorable kills and that's where i'm going to put happy birthday to me okay uh i think it's a it's it's a good movie and you hit the nail on the head it's it's kind of weird and it's strange and uh, there's scenes that really don't need to be there but when it's all said and done it's it's kind of interesting too and it's got its own little style to it and uh it's not a bad little flick i agree and uh, the one that definitely probably doesn't belong this high, but it, because it's a guilty pleasure, and you know me, I've got a fondness for those movies that uh, that I'm not supposed to like, but I like way more than I'm supposed to. Black Xmas gets up uh, from 2006. That gets up in third place. And uh, I'm sorry, everybody that is listening that hates me now and no longer respects my opinion. <laughs> I just haven't. Hell of a good time watching that Black Christmas movie. I I don't know why it's uh, as I said it's not a, as good as Black Christmas, right? But I feel uh, it's definitely uh, kind of a fun time. Uh, this is kind of a surprise. How <laughs> the the top two are rounded out for me because in second place I'm gonna put Toby Hooper's The Fun House. Okay. And I, I really do kind of like The Fun House. Uh, as I said before, it's it's it becomes a horror movie in uh you know 50 minutes in but it becomes kind of a it's a strange creepy sort of movie before that even uh i endorse the funhouse i think it's it's worth checking out um i think if you're into horror movies yeah for sure check out the funhouse i'm, I'm a fan of the funhouse I, that one I, I really wanted to put number one actually okay uh, but for some reason the way midnight movie surprised me and the the high concept idea it had i really enjoyed it Midnight movie. I'm sure it sounds like more than you did, but right. uh, I'm putting that at number one just because of, uh, as I said, it, it you had to work with it a little bit, and I saw what they were trying to do, and uh, they did they did their best, and I was I got impressed with it because uh, after the nuts started coming, it it came pretty hard, yeah. And uh, excuse that that phrase that didn't sound right. Well, <laughs> I was at risk I'm of... I'm putting Midnight Movie number one, whereas uh, I really thought Funhouse was going to take that spot. But right. uh, well, Midnight I... Movie knocked it uh, out of the park for me. It uh, just really entertained me, and I didn't see that coming. I was a little bit hard on it when I referred to it as amateurish at times. I just didn't know what the right word for it to use. But um, I think yeah. you liked it more than me, but um, <clears throat> our lists are closer than I expected in a little way. <clears throat> and the good news is, is that we agreed in the spot that I was the most passionate about. Uh, I don't think we agreed on any spot except for the last one, but I think I would have been a little bit disappointed with you if, you, if you'd have uh, ranked Wrong Turn 3 anywhere but last place in this list of movies. It's It's got its pluses and minuses, but there is nothing interesting or elevated or... There's nothing that makes it stands out to me in this crowd, even a little bit. And I describe this whole exactly. list as middle-of-the-road slasher movies. So even in that sort of company, it does nothing to sort of distinguish itself. So I think it deserves third place. And again, 
Low budget horror movie. Sixth place, I mean. Or last place. What did I say? Yeah, sixth place. Um, and notes to the low budget horror filmmakers everywhere. If your CGI is that bad, just don't use it. That's my advice to you. If it looks that bad would, to your own eye, do not use it. I would rather see an off-screen kill. Yeah. If you can't do it, then don't don't do it. Yeah. Just uh, show us the aftermath or something. It's it's a uh, it's an easy workaround, and yeah. uh, you know what you don't see sometimes is better anyways. Flash of the blade, pan away, and then pan back to it. Yeah. So, yeah, we're on the same page with Wrong Turn 3. Um, and I think we're on the same page with Urban Legend. Because I put Urban Legend in fifth place. Not because it's terrible, but because it's kind of flavorless to me. It's just sort of... Yeah. It is what uh, the state of 90s horror movies were in 1998. Like... Uh, there were lots of them, but there were no scares to be had. <laughs> they were just, uh, they were too cool to be scary. And uh, this is very emblematic of that. But if you want to see a movie of that time, and if you're into that the way Scott and I are into 80s movies, you might have a blast with this. So it's it's hard to say where, where your feels are for nostalgia. But for me, it just sort of felt kind of ho-hum. So it made fifth place. I think you're, if you said uh, it's almost a poster child, you're, you're right. Uh, 90s, late '90s movies, especially, watch that, and that gives you a good idea about what they were about. Yeah. Um, there, there was one thing I forgot to point out with that movie is the amount of jump scares that weren't scares. They were just somebody putting their hand on their shoulder from yep. behind. Yeah. False the music scare. And they turn around. Oh, it's you. <laughs> but it's never a scare worth being scared for and I think it happened five times through the movie just someone's hand on the shoulder they turn who is it oh it's you <laughs> well I've said it before and I'll say it again when you are especially if you take a long time to set up a false scare for a cat to jump out of a closet or something you're spinning your wheels you're not telling any story you're not moving anything forward everything stops for a lie so I'm not a big fan of those not that you can't have false scares but uh, you certainly shouldn't have half a dozen of them in one movie I'm going to hurt your feelings now, and I'm going to put Black Xmas in fourth place. Um, that, that excites me that it's that high. There you go. <laughs> um, it's bonkers, and I love how bonkers it is, but the movie that it's remaking wasn't bonkers. It was very composed and considered and creepy. It's like the opposite of the movie that it was remaking. It's, it's, I, I couldn't even say it was a tribute to Black Christmas. It's an in-name-only sequel to Black Christmas, really. Um, but if you want to watch a completely bonkers, way-too-dark Christmas-themed horror movie, this is definitely that. And sometimes I am in the mood for something completely crazy, and, like, this is it, you know? So um, I get where the appeal lies, but I also get, and I'm kind of on side with the contingent of horror fans who feel like, if you're going to remake a horror classic, take it seriously, <laughs> you know? That, yeah, that's me. Yeah, fair enough. That's me. That's, that's the Star fair Trek enough. fan in me, right? That's, that's the nerdiest nerd part of my nerddom. <laughs> but, okay. So we're going to start to disagree now. All the way in third place is where I put the Midnight Movie. I was really waffling on Midnight Movie and Happy Birthday to Me. But Happy Birthday to Me, although inadvertently 
made me laugh out loud and made me kind of smile more. <laughs> like, uh, like I feel like the horror, specifically the slasher genre in 1981, was trying to figure out what it was. And when they were making Midnight Movie, they knew what slasher movies were. The template was well there. In, in, in Happy Birthday to Me's effort to try and feel itself out, it takes some awkward, you know, puberty-laden first steps that are kind of hilarious to me to watch. But it is too long. But I put Midnight Movie in third place and Happy Birthday to Me in second place. But anywhere on the list, those two are like the, the tough one. Like they could they could switch places really easily for me. But I, I think yeah. for me, number one had to be The Fun House because I think it worked on both aspects for me. It was frightening and it delivered the slasher kills. And on balance, I think it did it the best of these six movies. Like, I had the least amount of, like, technical criticisms. And even if I thought the first half was slow, I understood it was deliberately slow. It wasn't meanderingly slow, like Happy Birthday, right? Like, this was letting it the atmosphere get to you. So by the time the scares come, you are already at the edge of your seat. So, um... I've talked shit about Toby Hooper in the past. I am not going to talk shit about The Fun House. I think out of this list of movies, it's probably going to have the broadest reach as far as, yeah, that worked for me. So that's why it's number one. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a decent list. I can uh, endorse that for sure. <laughs> like, as I said, I was kind of, uh, I was leaning towards Fun House at number one, but uh, I thought, you know what, I wanted to give a little extra praise to something that maybe tried hard yeah and uh maybe didn't get seen as much but yeah you know what other than number six i had a tough time because there wasn't a lot separating the other ones um every movie i think had some points for it that maybe could have put it above one of the others and or something it was uh but in the end yeah that's where i stuck him and that's where you stuck him and uh we'll stay friends yeah absolutely and i'm, I'm all over you putting midnight movie at number one because i think of the list of movies it's probably the most unsung even Happy Birthday to Me, everybody knows that cover, right? With yeah, the guys yeah. screaming and the shish kebab or whatever. But like, uh, uh, I think that Midnight Movie is something that people might have missed. And uh, if you're into this type of movie, you probably should not have missed it. Check it out. Yeah, it's kind of fun when you find something that you missed and say, I did not see this before. What's this about? It, and it's know, every now your... and then I'll stumble upon a, an <laughs> 80s movie I've never seen. And that really excites me. Yep. Like, I've never seen this. What is this? But uh, <laughs> And it sat on your wall probably for a couple of years before you got around to it. There, It was just <laughs> yeah. waiting for the right day. <laughs> Number one. All right, sweet. Well, uh, we're going to do something unprecedented. We haven't, well, not, not, not unprecedented, but we haven't done it for years on the show. Scott and I are going to do some cherries. So 
Scott and I are going to try and do some dairies. We're going to do it a little bit differently, I guess, than the days of old. If you go back to like, I don't know, the last time we did this was like episode 18 or something. <laughs> it's like, a, it's been a good long time. Anyway, um, best kill. And like, there's certainly a lot of kills to choose from in this particular selection. Um, from the unsubtle eye-pulling that we get out in, in the Black Christmas franchise to, like, the almost unworthy of mentioning any of them in, in Urban Legends. Like, there's not a lot of real visceral on-screen kills in that one. But I definitely came to my, cho my choice. Um, I, I don't know if it's the most obvious one, but for me, I gave points for origina originality and brutality. But uh, I'm curious where you went with best kill. Uh, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna, I kind of think those are the same criteria, uh, originality, brutality, um, on-screen effectiveness, and maybe something that makes you go, ooh, yep. a little bit. Um, uh, some of them that popped to my head were Midnight Movie, the two-for-one kill, right? Uh, where he pushes that screw through the one guy's chest, keeps pushing, and then it goes through the girl that's standing behind him, who's with the skin of her fingers pulled off. You know, I thought about that one. I thought about the, the first kill in Wrong Turn 3 we touched on. Oh, that's um, right. That's a not a bad one, actually. With, with a, a nudity kill in that. But uh, the one that I guess uh, I would give my, my winner to would be the uh, the weightlifting kill in Happy Birthday to Me. Because that one, that one I, I felt it a little bit. Yeah. And that's exactly the one that I picked. There's, you, you'd think, like, Happy Birthday to Me is famous for the shish kebab kill. And I do like the motorbike kill, but... I've never seen that. Like I've seen kills in weight rooms before. It's it's more for something like in a prison drama or something like that that they would do it. But it's drawn out. Like he's struggling, he's struggling, and then it's kind of personal. <laughs> he dropped the weight right on his nuts as he's struggling to hold the bar, and everything falls. And it's all about sound effects and editing. Like you said when we reviewed it, it you don't see anything brutal, but you feel brutalized by the scene. So. All right, we have an agreement on best kill, but do we have an oh agreement God. on best what the fuck moment? And this one we have so much to choose from, like Black Christmas in its entirety. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, um, there, there certainly is no shortage of craziness. Like, well, we just talked about the Happy Birthday to me, um, the all carnival stuff that's going on with the monstrosities in 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 the fun house and again what do you count as a what the fuck moment is it like what is it doing in the movie or is it a, just a moment in the movie that makes your jaw go oh my god they try that a lot in what in the wrong turn movies where someone's in mid-sentence and an arrow goes into their face or something like that but i don't know how successful it is but for me it's something that actually puts an all stop on the movie for me for a second like did that just happen that's what I'm looking for in What the Fuck. Yeah, that's how I look at it, too, where it's a, what, yeah, you, you take pause for a minute saying, why, what, what, why are we, okay, <laughs> that just happened. Uh, for example, Andrea Martin's death in Black Christmas, was, yeah. we talked about that one being a very uh, likely mention for, for that award with, uh, you know, she wasn't killed by the killer, she was killed by accident by an icicle and you'll never look at icicles the same when you leave your house you better tiptoe but not quite not. but uh, the winner what the fuck moment for me was the scooby-doo reveal of the killer's uh, face and happy birthday to me they get another win because the, the way she just 
reaches up and then pulls off what looks like a nylon stocking from her face, and that was the perfect makeup. Uh, yeah, that was definitely what the actual fuck <laughs> yeah. what I want to <clears throat> well, I have two kind of honorable mentions. One of them you already talked about was Andrea Martin. It, it's so quick that it doesn't stop the movie, but it has no business being there. It's, they even take the time to set it up. They show us that, that uh, icicle wobble a few times earlier in the sequence, but like that is not... <laughs> this is such an absurd payoff. And like you can only laugh at that. You can only laugh at that, right? Um... So yes, and you're right, the climactic sequence of Happy Birthday to Me is strange, but I wanted to mention the scene where the doctor shows up at the house and he sees the catatonic woman in the rain, really out of nowhere. It's just like, what happened to her? Why is she there? Are you going to try to explain it? Did he just leave her there? No, it's completely inexplicable. But I ended up going with the origin story in Black Christmas. <laughs> the Like, the whole business with... Billy killing his stepfather and then fathering his own sister with his mom on Christmas. <laughs> it's just so needlessly yeah. over the top. Holy shit, you guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> like, I, uh, like, slow clap. Like, you really fucking went there. But, like, wow. <laughs> so, just to describe it, it's insane. So, yes, uh, Billy and Agnes's origin in Black Christmas was my choice for what the fuck. Because, really. Yeah, I, <laughs> and it only happened because her husband passed out drunk when they were doing it on the stairs, and she wasn't finished, and she heard Billy upstairs in that rocking chair. <laughs> she goes and drops her gown, and the rocking chair starts rocking again. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for that, you guys. <laughs> All right, um, we had six movies, but we had more than six killers. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm thinking we might agree on this one as well, but I'm, I'm curious. We have, of course, the Carney family in the funhouse. We have the secret half-sister in uh, Happy Birthday to Me. We have the fucked-up family in Black Christmas. Uh, we have, what was the name of uh, Gayhart? Rebecca Gayhart. Yeah, Amanda Gayhart from Urban Legends. We have the supernatural uh, killer. The rules of that universe were still being figured out for Midnight Movie, but I definitely like the look of them. Like, we had a lot of interesting range to our killers, but uh, you put Midnight Movie at number one, so I'm thinking maybe that'll be your choice, but um, I'm curious, what's your what's your favorite killer out of this group? Yeah, looking at it, you're right. There was a lot of uh, range, and uh, I mean, two of our killers in these movies were, you know, small frame females. Yep. And, uh, so I, I can't give them the nod because they don't have that imposing kind of fear that uh, would instill. Um, I mean, I think you know, Rebecca Gerhard looked like a, if she was swinging an axe around, it might tip her over. Because, uh, but I mean, her skin looked flawless. But uh, I'd like to give it to the uh, the Carney who's in in the funhouse because that that creature is. Uh, quite a memorable look but uh, i'm going to give the best killer to uh our, our monster in or our, i guess our slasher in midnight movie because he's got special rules around him and he seems to be more of that unstoppable beast i guess because uh you have to play by his rules and he can escape back into the screen and you can't do anything about it yeah um and so uh, i think he's got the 
he's got the win for me on that one. Okay. Oh, well, we didn't quite. But uh, I, I chose the creature from the Funhouse, but I do have a very yeah. specific memory of seeing that movie on TV. I think they aired it on A and E, like on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, I was watching it at home, and uh, the reveal when that Frankenstein mask came off, and that creature was underneath it, I I was strangely not prepared for it. And it's it's the one thing I didn't remember a lot about the movie, but that creature, that that guy, always stuck with me. And uh, it was it was one of the things that I enjoyed most about revisiting the the movie. So um, I think he would have to be my favorite. But I'm utterly sympathetic to your your your, your selection as well. I do like that, and I, 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 I like this, this created world. That there, there seems like there could be so much more there. So, solid choice, and um, yeah, successful yeah, juries. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that scene when he, when he does pull the mask off, and just because he's wailing away and banging on the cage and screaming and drooling, the, the drool that this guy gets <laughs> to you, it is something that kind of, you're right, it, it's memorable and brings me back to my youth, too, thinking about that the first time. And those were the Jerry's. Um, I think, we, especially if I have Slasher as like a, a, a subject for an episode, I, I want to do the Jerry's because, uh, I don't know, it's fun for me. <laughs> Thank you yeah, no, so much, man. I really appreciate you doing another Slasher episode. And you've already lined up your next episode with me, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to the people on the internets before I shut down this episode of Ranking Review? Uh, it was, yeah. Hi, people of the internet. Hello, people. You? That's nice. I'm good, too. That's about all. You'll be hearing more from yeah, Scott soon. <laughs> Thanks. Well, sadly, we found our way to the end of Rank and Review 211. Big, big thanks, big, big love to my brother, Mr. Scott Lehman, for coming back to the show. Always a pleasure to have him on board. And uh, please send feedback, review at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please check out the website at rankinreview.ca. Please check out my other friendly podcasts. They're not my podcast, but check out the other podcasts local to me. The Shelf Shedding Movie Show and the Terror Table Podcast. And please keep listening to Rank and Review. This is your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons. Thank you so much for listening.